Welcome to The Launch, the podcast sponsored by Tandem Launch, where we talk about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. We give you the inside scoop on building a startup, capital fundraising, the entrepreneurial journey, with both funny and impactful stories. This podcast is for budding entrepreneurs, ecosystem players, industry folks, venture capitalists looking for deals, students considering a career in the startup world, or anyone with a curiosity in Deepak. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tenemlaunch.com, or hit us up on LinkedIn. Let's build the future together. And now, on with the show. So welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Launch. This podcast is sponsored by Tandem Launch, Montreal's premier incubator. So today I have a really big treat for you. Joining me as co-host, we have the wonderful and talented Rebecca Kroll from Startup Fest in the house. Hello, Bobby. Very excited to be here. And I am not alone. I am thrilled to be joined by two entirely awesome human beings uh, that I am honored to introduce to you, Leslie Fine and Jonathan Lohenhar. Aside for Jonathan, he has given one of the highest rated talks we have ever had at Startup Fest. And I'm pretty sure your community will be well acquainted with Startup Fest. Anyway, they are part of the team behind San Francisco's Enjoy the Work, ETW, which we obviously all want to be able to do. Uh, So a huge welcome to Jonathan and Leslie. Thank you for taking the time out of what I know is a very busy schedule. And uh, before we dive into the wisdom and stories we want to sort of extract from you in the next little while, why don't you tell us a bit about yourselves? Leslie, you want to go first? Sure. Thanks for having us. Leslie Fine, I'm a partner at Enjoy the Work. Uh, First, a little about Enjoy the Work, and then I'll tell you a bit about me and send it over to Jonathan. We are a collection of ex-operators and venture capitalists who, through years and stories and scars and mistakes, have pretty much seen it all in startup land. And we're unified in a belief that while creating an idea, seeing a problem in the world and manifesting that into a company is an alchemy altogether that belongs to founders, the next piece of work, the creating a business, the framework of how to tell that story well, of how to run a fundraising process, of how to create an awesome culture, of how how to drive accountability, ultimately, potentially how to exit your company. Those are teachable frameworks. Those are things that you can learn. There are best in class ways to do it. There are key pitfalls that everyone falls into. And our mission is to make sure that people don't do that, that founding a company does not have to be a lonely journey. We all came to this a little bit differently. I like to think of us as sort of a legion of superheroes where we can all save the kitten from the burning building, but we all bring a different skill. We have folks who've been CROs at major high growth companies, uh, folks that have built amazing CFO organizations inside companies and made that role a strategic role. I come to this from about 20 years of product and strategy work, both in startups uh, and in larger companies like HP and Salesforce. And I got recruited into doing this about two years ago uh, by my friend, partner, and founder of ETW, Jonathan. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'll I'll just continue the story a little bit with, I always found it kind of insane that this was the one profession, being a founder, starting something from scratch, that you're expected to kind of be on your own devices and like, go, go learn, 
Good luck. Hope you don't kill the thing you care most about in this professional world. <laughs> we don't do this to other professions. We don't do this to pilots. Hey, get in the plane. Good luck with all the souls in the back. We don't do this to <laughs> surgeons. Like keep working your way through patients and maybe a few of them will survive eventually. But we do this with founders all the time. This notion that you're supposed to just figure it out. Well, that level of autonomy doesn't seem to exist anywhere else. Like the best athletes in the world still have someone to look at their film and look at their form. I wanted to do the same thing. So I had been a part of a whole bunch of companies, like that's a nice euphemism for, you know, I got older and I started <laughs> to notice that the companies that were well, well run, like they always kind of felt the same. There's always this rhythm. Like we knew what we were trying to achieve in the world and we understood how to treat each other and we understood what we were measuring along the way. Yet most of the time when I would look out at startups, like they had no idea how to do those kind of things. So I just did a bunch of research. I started to talk to founders all around the world for a couple of years and realized like, oh, that's right. Founders have really no idea how to create a sustainable business around the thing about which they care about most, this thing they want to introduce in this world, the magic they want to introduce to the world. And so once I started to kind of put enough form around that to realize like this is actually something people care about. This is something founders want. Well, then I started to recruit the Legion of Superheroes. And now it's, you know, seven years later and nearly 50 startups across a bunch of different countries. And we're having a whole lot of fun doing it because, you know, the secret is if you can play with startups, but not actually operate one, you're much happier. <laughs> you enjoy the work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So because you have such incredible expertise and understanding of what makes a successful company or startup, and you've helped oodles of entrepreneurs and founders, you must have some interesting stories uh, that our listeners can learn from. So perhaps you could share some of the more memorable ones, maybe surrounding topics like scaling, fundraising, exiting, which all seem to be points of contention and sometimes riddled with misconceptions. So can you talk about some experiences that were particularly prevalent that maybe you all come out on the other side of it? Sure. Uh, let me start with a myth about scaling, that all startups have to be explosive growth, going for unicorn or bust must be the front cover article or te in TechCrunch it's not a success. The vast majority are not that. The vast majority of these companies, if they are successful on what is now typically on average an eight year journey, uh, will be singles or doubles. If you're lucky, it'll be a positive outcome for you and your investors. When I think back on, on my first company and I exited and everybody saw the press release and they're like, holy crap, this is great. What I said to my husband that night was, yeah, we remodeled a kitchen, right? Like we didn't turn into bajillionaires, but we got an exit. We got a win, fought, learned, lived to fight another day. It was, it was a San Francisco kitchen, which is the equivalent of an entire island in other countries. So let's be careful. <laughs> I do have a fantastic backsplash. But, which, by the way, when I wanted that fantastic backsplash and my husband was maybe not feeling the most spendy, I was like, no, it's my exit, my glass. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there is value in that. Anyway, we had a fantastic female entrepreneur, sort of classic Horatio Alger story. She fled Venezuela, came to actually first Europe and then the U.S., built a company. And her whole goal was to build a tool for individuals. Um, I don't want to go into all the details to protect the innocent, but she did not imagine building a giant business. And she got onto the treadmill and kind of didn't mean to. And she turned around and she was like, whoa, I've now raised money from people who expect me to shoot for the moon. Uh, I'm getting more and more attention from large companies that are, she, she didn't know how to spell RFP and she didn't know how to like run a procurement process. And wait, they wanted to be SOC 2 compliant. She's like, this is not fun anymore. And meanwhile, 
her investors are like, more, 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 more. We're going to raise the next round of money. We're going to make you a unicorn. This is great. These giant companies want it. She was like, this sucks. And so we kind of did a reset about a year ago. And we went to find investors that were aligned with her, that what she wanted to do was build a small, profitable business where she could turn the crank and make individuals happy, where she didn't have to work a bajillion hours a day and where she wasn't shooting for the moon. And those investors do exist. We found one of those and uh, he said, great, I'm in for what was a relatively small amount of money and plenty to get her to ramen profitability. And he said, there's one thing, you have too much preference in front of this. It's never going to be interesting for you. I will only invest in your company if you can get every other investor that's on the cap table to see, see things the way I do and the way you do and make this make sense for you and your partner. And we spent... I don't know, six weeks twisting arms and begging and having coffee meetings all through a pandemic. And one by one had conversations on something like this. Hey, investor, I found this person who wants to invest in the company. It's going to be great. We're going to get to profitability. We're serving this wonderful customer base. Everybody loves us. Our NPS is through the roof. It's awesome. One thing, I'm going to need to convert you to common. At which point they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. That's not okay. Uh, Leslie, short- how about 30 seconds on why preference is potentially a very evil word for early stage founders trying to sell their company? Preference is short <laughs> I get mine first. Yeah. When investors put money in, they say, cool, that's great. Here's a couple million bucks at this valuation, yada, yada, yada. However, when and if there is a liquidity event for this company, before you get a red cent, I get all of my money back. Then we'll play a nice, fair, even divide the pie game. And I'm not vilifying this, that makes sense, right? Their first job is to protect the investment they made on behalf of their LPs. We tend as entrepreneurs to forget that VCs have bosses too, and they have a thesis and they have a commitment and they have a return that they need to manage. So that's fair and fine. And it makes a ton of sense when you're building a rocket ship. Doesn't work so well when you're trying to build a slow growth company. Common is exactly what, what that sounds like. It's all common. We're all the same. We're all dividing things equally. We're all sitting around the table in the same way. And so when this entrepreneur went to her VCs, they said, well, that's not okay because we've put in all this money. She was like, that's cool. Great. No problem. You want to invest. And they're like, "Mm, no, wait, but so you believe in my business enough to want your preference and you see that I'm growing and you see that I'm going to hit a wall before I reach escape velocity, but you don't want to write a check. And they're like, There were a lot more expletives when this conversation occurred than the way Leslie's describing it, by the way. The G-rated version (laughs) of the story. (laughs) This is Disney. Long story short, because we have a lot of stories to tell. She pulled it off. She is like a spitfire Latina, wildly passionate, shows up to our meetings with a skateboard under her arm. And she just like wrestled all of these, frankly, old white men to the ground. It was masterful to see. I mean, there was a lot of angst in the Slack channel, but when she showed up, she was just fierce. She would occasionally send us a note that said, here's what I want to say to these people. Curse, I hate you, curse, I hate you, curse. (laughs) Leslie and company, would you please rewrite this in such a way where I won't get sued or thrown in jail or infuriate the people I want to give me money? And, and, you know, she really pushed us on um, one of our sort of catchphrases inside Enjoy the Work is we are editors, not authors. 
In other words, we want the entrepreneur to do the work. We want them to learn to be this fully formed human being so that they can go on to be the next enjoy the work. So we don't do the work for them. We're like, hey, take a, take a stab. And her stabs were colorful. <laughs> yeah, her stabs included stab- desires to stab. Yes. <laughs> anyway, we got it done. Everybody at the table is now common. That business is now profitable. These two, uh, you know, bootstrap pulling immigrant entrepreneurs now own a clear third of their business. And, you know, knock on wood, it's going to be going up being exactly what they want profitable, easy business. Now, if they didn't have to do enterprise sales, they'd be super happy, but victim of their own success. I love that. I love that story. And I also love ramen profitability. I have never heard ramen (laughs) profitability and you know exactly what it is. It's perfect. Um, And the the whole idea of this isn't fun anymore. I think that's something that so many startups go through multiple times in their journey is that it's, it's not fun anymore. And how do you get back to that? How do you get back to making it something that uh, something that is fun that you want to keep working and putting your your blood sweat and tears into and I speaking of not fun anymore great segue one of the one of the sort of necessary evils is that most startups will be working will be raising funds they'll be working with VCs they're going to be fundraising they've got to do the pitch they've got to get the money and I know you've got a great story about a couple of founders and their fundraising journey that I think is going to resonate very well with this audience so Tell us about some of the startups you work with and their fundraising tale. There is this misconception glamorized by so many of the periodicals in this space that fundraising can be easy. It's like, hey, we meet at a demo day. We virtually shake hands once or twice and suddenly there's money in my bank account. I didn't even know it was showing up. It might as well be the VC tooth fairy. And for one out of every 50 or 70 of the fundraises that we do, and we've done so many, we've lost count. That's true. The other 90 plus percent is fundraising is a slog. It's work. It's work like every other discipline within the context of trying to grow a company. It's hard to hire people. It's hard to hit targets. It's hard to build a sales function. Fundraising is hard too. And more than the other ones, fundraising feels like just inherently random and and binary. It's like it either worked or it didn't. And I don't know why Joey got money, but Jennifer didn't. Like there's so much of that in this. And so we meet these two founders from Edmonton that are fully formed adults. These are not little children with crazy ideas. Like these are these are adults. One of them, long career in big co. The other one had built a, a profitable services business to 20 million Canadian a year from nothing. Him and a co-founder built it from nothing over a long period of time with a couple hundred employees. And then they had this idea and they spun it out. Then they wanted to raise money, but they had never done that before in their lives. We end up meeting them through an accelerator last year. And they're like, we don't have that much money right now. We have all these growth ambitions. We have these first customers. Let's go raise money. Like, great. We walk them through our process. It's like a month of training. There's a whole bunch of pieces to it. There's story development. There's objection handling. There are materials to prep. There's a list to figure out. There's this whole dance. And the CEO who loves to sell starts to put in some of the work, meets a couple of investors, gives up. And like gives up in a minute. He's just not used to getting no that often is my suspicion now in retrospect. So he returns to selling. And then we end up having a meeting in December and we figure out like, how much money do you have left? Like, well, we're good to March. Okay, so the business is working, but we're gonna go off a cliff. What are we gonna do about that? Like, what about fundraising? He's like, Jonathan, it didn't work. It didn't work. You spent like, I don't know, an hour, at which point I start to 
Bobby, am I allowed to use whatever language I want? Yes, please. <laughs> you barely fucking tried. Like, what are we talking about? It didn't work. Like, really? Three people, five people, however many meetings? You only took the ones that were the easiest ones to get and it didn't work? Shut up. At which point, like, I gave him the get off my lawn version of a story that when I did my first startup, it was 120 pitches over 18 months and I didn't take a salary before I got a first term sheet. Didn't work. Fuck you. So finally, he like, he accepts this. I'm like, let's go actually run the process. So we build a list, we build the materials, we rehearse, we practice, we do all the things. And part of that process, he meets an investor through one of our existing CEOs and enjoy the work. One of our CEOs says, Ooh, I like this. Let me introduce you to one of my investors. 10 days later after that, we have a term sheet, like the fastest start to close term sheet that I had seen in a year and a half. And when we get, the founders get the term sheet and the co-founder, who is this snarky, brilliant, playful guy who's actually written a dozen fiction books because that's where he puts his extra energy because we all have extra energy when we're running a startup. There's so much spare time when you're having a company. Right. Like, but yeah, I'm going to just keep writing books instead. He actually sends me the term sheet so that Enjoy the Work can evaluate it and help along with their attorney. And on top of the term sheet, it says in big red font, Chris was wrong, Jonathan was right. This very, very fun moment for us where we get to be right in a way that's in service to our companies. Like there's very little I get more pleasure than that other than to lying to people for their own good. Like those are the two. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love, I love also the little story in there about the, the connections and the networking. And because they meant, you know, they got to meet another CEO, they had a conversation. It's about networking, right? Startups have to network. They have to meet people outside of their own bubbles and you never know what can happen, right? It's always who you know. Rebecca, I, I feel like there's like so much in common with so much of the community you built in Montreal and extended as well. It's like good people know good people. And I don't mean good as in like, oh, they have money or they have connections. I mean, just nice just humans. Just good humans. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You want to you wanna hang out with nice humans. Nice humans want other nice yeah. humans to hang out with more nice humans. And it's a whole lovely circle. <laughs> okay. So speaking of lovely humans. Exactly. Uh, you're, you're very good at setting up my segues. So thank you for that with the lovely humans. <laughs> Let's talk about team, team and team dynamics, because a lot of startups struggle with hiring effectively as they grow and keeping that team inspired and effective and engaged. And what does that founder or that, that C-suite management team need to make sure they're doing to keep their team working towards the right goal? You got any startup family dynamic stories that you, you want to share? Uh, yeah. Wait, wait, no, no. Answer that again with enthusiasm, please. <laughs> In fact, I do, Rebecca. Allow me to tell you this perfectly packaged story. How, how wonderfully fortuitous. Thank you so much, Leslie. I look forward to hearing it. You know, uh, since we've now been given permission to swear, companies are like families. You know, you get to know them enough. They're all kind of fucked up. And the question is just in which way. I am actually reminded of, of a CEO, Jonathan, and I met, oh gosh, two years ago now, just about, it was like day one at Enjoy the Work. And kind of was like, here, come meet a Series C CEO. It's like, okay, cool, great, let's do that. <laughs> and, and we sat down with him and, and the presenting issue was, my team lacks urgency. I seem to be the only one who cares. We talk about these things and they don't go anywhere. I get all excited about stuff and it doesn't happen. Things just seem to die on the vine. And like, I cannot light a fire under these people. And we dug and we dug, we dug. And, and you know, we, we were sort of always intrigued by finding the thing under the thing. Like, yeah, you said that. What's actually happening here? What we learned was that this founding team, about half of 
founders and have people that brought in later, and, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute, they loved each other as humans. Man, they were at each other's barbecues. They hung out all the time. When they did a two-day offsite, they spent three nights together because they wanted more time. They would rent a house, show up the night before, they'd all cook dinner together, uh, hang out, get drunk, do two days of work, and then finish with another dinner. I don't know about you, but when I'm done with an offsite, as much as I like Jonathan, I'm like, I'm going to have whatever my husband was nice enough to make her order. I'm going to watch TV and I'm not talking to you motherfuckers. I know they're like, well, let's do one more night. So love each other as friends. We pushed on it. We realized there's a really big difference for them between loving each other as friends and professional trust. They didn't know how to pull the best out from each other. And they didn't know how to call each other out on where they were failing each other. They didn't know how to argue well. They would agree on 90%. And they're such a consensus-driven organization. And the CEO is such a like six foot one, you know, giant hug of a, of a person. Terrifying to look at walking down the street. You might cross the street, but he's just a teddy bear. He wanted everyone to get along. And that combination of not understanding how to push each other, partially because they were such good friends, and his need for complete and total consensus froze the company. We spent a lot of time in, I'll admit, kind of Bay Area hippie trust circle stuff, putting each person in the hot seat. We were lovingly tough. Each person spent some time in the spotlight. Let's definitely not call it a hot seat. And having everyone in the room tell them what they brought to that room, not from their technical skills, but who they were as a human that made that room better. And where what they were doing was pulling energy from the room. And the response that that person could have would either be tell me more or thank you. And we spent a day doing that. And we asked people to reflect and they came back with commitments and verbalized, like, here's what I heard. And here's what I plan to commit to this room. And that did a couple things. One, it just got it all on the table. Two, now there's a shorthand in a leadership meeting. Oh, you're doing the thing. Remember, you said you wouldn't do that thing. And they could check in with each other. Once we had that foundation laid, we kind of started digging into goals. And it turned out that everyone owned every goal. There are very few things that drive me more crazy than not having one throat to choke. Uh, <laughs> and my guess is that this story doesn't at all resonate with Canadian founders who truly just want harmony. harmony. Like I understand. We're the nice guys, always... Jonathan. <laughs> Sunshine and rainbows and lots of thank yous. Oh yeah. I'm so sorry. But uh, is there, is there like, as, as a little aside question, do you find culturally there's a big difference in working with Canadian startups versus Valley startups versus like, I don't know that you're going to have a patchouli trust circle in Canada. Is, is that something that you would do? Versus Eastern European startups, versus Israeli startups, versus mm -hmm. Indian startups, versus New York, versus the Bay Area, overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. And there's not one that's better than another. There is an incredibly different energy for, for the way founders show up, depending on where they're coming from in the world that we find. And what we also find, and what's really important for us, is to curate which of our partners ends up being the relationship in regard. There, there, are, certain, there are certain archetypes where Leslie and I thrive, and others where it would drive us crazy and would drive them crazy. So yes... And what is consistently true amongst our Canadian founders and their companies is the teams get along really well. And some of the stuff that needs to be surfaced doesn't get surfaced. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. I can see that. Amazing. I love it. Oh, I yeah. just wanted to, to round that thing out um, mm. because what happened a few months later is, I don't know if you're aware of this pandemic. Someday I will have time to write about this, but what Jonathan and I got to observe and our partners was 50 companies simultaneously reacting to this. Mm. at the same time in 50 different ways. And this company we're talking about, oh my 
God, did they kill it. They just, they clamped down immediately. They went into wartime behavior. They reset their goals. They realigned and everything was like, nope, we're not discussing it. This is what we're doing. They reset expectations with the board and then they doubled those expectations because the team agreed on what they could each bring to the group, what goals looked like, how to give marching orders and let people go off to do it. Amazing. What are the, what are some of the mistakes that you guys find that founders make when they are developing and deploying their teams? Because obviously that team, man, they loved each other. And so they came at it with a desire to want to make it work, I'm assuming, because they all, you know, really valued the company and valued working together. So let's figure it out in whatever way we need to do that. But in other organizations, what that, that maybe they're not all besties, what what are the mistakes that they make when they're when they're developing those teams and putting them to work? Yeah, there are three that we see over and over and over again, particularly their first timers, Rebecca. I, I think that the, the veteran founders, they've suffered these pains and they've learned from them, or they tend to be a little older. And like all of us, we've had some dark times in our lives. And we're like, oh shit, I, like there are dead bodies around me and I seem to be the common variable. So let me work on myself, right? Like the, the first time founder who's 28 doesn't do that yet. But the three patterns are, are, are one, you either can work on a relationship or not work on a relationship. It's as true in romance and, and families as it is in, in founder teams. And so we have some teams that just believe that I guess we'll all get along by accident, just fucking bananas, right? Like it, <laughs> it's not true with any other relationships in your life. Yet in the pressure cooker of a startup, like you're running this company with like six or seven other senior people on your team and like, no, I don't have to put any energy into making sure our connective tissue is good. So that's number one. Number two, people mistake this is our own kind of reductive language of starters versus finishers. There are people who love to ideate and to get things off the ground and to brainstorm. And they love envisioning some, something on a blank canvas. And there are others who hate that. But if you give them a project that has a whole bunch of complicated steps, organizing that, processing it, and making sure it all gets done well, gets their heart pounding. Or sometimes not doing it well gets their heart pounding and either one's really motivational. And so if you try and do something new with a whole bunch of finishers, you're not getting anywhere. But if you're trying to get something over the finish line with a whole bunch of starters, you're equally screwed. And founders miss that. And they just, they forget that that archetype even exists. Then the last one, as young startups start to grow, they need to actually hire some folks who know how to do some things. As opposed to just like hustler athletes, you actually want to hire people that have like, hey, I've done this thing before. Well, there's a really different type of person you start hiring. And we call them, and this is admittedly can be insulting to the employees themselves, but our goal is to teach founders things. And there are only two ways human learn. There are only two ways humans learn. Either one, repetition, right? We do something every single day until it sticks and it's muscle memory. Or two, it has to have a lot of emotional resonance. And so we try and hit them in the face lovingly, admittedly, and often over video with emotional resonance. And one of them is like, there are only two types of people you can hire. There are adults and there are children. We talk about the difference between those two and that children need structure and they need guidance, they need guardrails, they need bouncers. You need to put like floaties on their arms. So when you throw them in the pool, they don't die. You can't put the floaties in the ankle. That's terrible. But at the same time, you also need to manage adults really differently. Because if you try and give that kind of structure to adults, they're going to tell you to fuck off. As opposed to let's collaboratively agree on success, collaboratively agree on resources, and then get out of their way. And founders, as they start to ascend and they have to hire that first adult, and then they try and treat that adult like they were treating their individual contributor children, there are fireworks where Leslie and I and the rest of our partners usually have to intervene. 
the fireworks usually come from a very specific place. And this is one where Leslie and I have spent a lot of time. And that is there are like two ways to like run a culture. Leslie, you've dealt with this more recently than I have. Do you want to play here? Yeah, I dealt with this yesterday. Oh, um, <laughs> fresh. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I think I can almost say that every day. Look, there are, again, it's always delightfully reductive to say there are two kinds of things, but there are two kinds of things. There are rules driven cultures you will do this, you will hit this number, you will comply to this, this is our structure. Works great with children. Or there are you know, values, principles-driven structure. Our goal is this, our North Star is that. I'm going to give you the autonomy to get there. And when you confuse those two is terrible. Obviously, probably just even in the intonation of my voice, you can tell that we prefer values or principles-driven cultures. But when you preach one and do the other is, probably one of the most common failure modes where we see the accountability goes out the window. I don't understand. You told me to climb that mountain. I'm climbing that mountain. And the CEO is like, no, 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 no. I was trying to articulate to you a problem. And I suggested that that mountain might be a way to approach it or the opposite way around. You know, the, the leaders say climb that mountain. And what the person hears is I would like to think of a way to get over there. So being very clear with the kind of company you've joined, what you're trying to build and which one of those is your, your culture is a ton of sense. I, all you have to do, we've all had this experience. You call into a support center and you start talking to the person it becomes very clear. Are they rules driven? Do they have no choice but to follow this script no matter what? And it's driving you insane because they're just taking you down this path. And it works for 80% of the use cases, but it drives the edge cases insane. Or do they say, I hear you, Bobby. I hear you, Rebecca. I'm here to solve your problem. Let's figure it out together. Now that can be harder in something like a call center, but man, by the time you get to level three tech support, you would better have someone like that on the phone who understands what the goal is and what the values are, what the principles are, not what the rubric is. I wish I could just get passed straight to level three tech support often. I swear it lots. It's true. It's yeah. true. But I'm Canadian. I'm nice and I'm friendly and I hate doing that. I think swearing is a very useful tool and is highly underrated. So um, we're getting to the tail end of things. I mean, honestly, on a selfish no, uh, note, no, I could easily do this all day long. But um, I'm going to ask the, each of you to give me very rapidly the three things that you think are the most important things that you know the founders need to know or focus on. And hopefully, Leslie and Jonathan, you don't agree. If we're going to talk about fundraising, uh, and I, I was like, while Jonathan was telling that story, uh, I was going to don't say this thing, say this thing, and he didn't say this thing. So now I will say it. It is a pipeline like any other. It is a numbers game like any other. Yes, Rebecca, who you know matters. Yes, the best introduction to a VC is a CEO they've already funded. And hopefully you can work your LinkedIn profile enough to find those introductions. But at the end of the day, it's all numbers. And if you think that you're going to get a term sheet without 60, 70, maybe 80 emails to friends that say, hey, I know you know John at Cool VC number three. Can you use this snippet of information and introduce me? Because those 60 introductions are going to maybe turn into 30 coffee meetings. And those are maybe, if you're lucky, going to turn into 20 meetings where you're actually pulling out that beautiful deck that you created. And that's maybe, if you're lucky, going to turn into 10 second meetings and five due diligence and one or maybe two term sheets. Uh, so I think that that we get, we fall in love with the hero myths of like, yeah, I met this guy for coffee and uh, he gave me $20 million in Bitcoin over our USB drive, which actually happened to a friend of ours. Those reason those are great stories is because they never happen, right? Or at least very rarely. The fact is, this is a process and you just have to run it like one. 
Yes, and since I was asked to disagree with Leslie, I'll say that that is not the most important thing that I want founders to know if they're going to enter into a fundraise, although that is one of the critical things they have to know, not the most important thing to me to know. Uh, what the most important thing I would want them to know is to actually be able to empathize with their audience, the investor, to actually understand the lens from which they come. There are two things that are true about investors. One is they don't get fired for the deals they pass on. They get fired for the deals they do, and they love their job. They love being investors for all sorts of reasons. And we don't have to like pretend to go into the psyche of all investors. That's not fair. They're normally distributed like any other professional human, but they want to keep their job. And they lose their job by investing in Theranos. They lose their job by investing in companies where there is something mischievous. There's something underneath the surface. So they dig and they look, they look for reasons not to invest because if they miss a great company, they still have their job. If they invest in something that actually is awful, they lose their job and they don't want to lose their job. And entrepreneurs don't understand that. They approach the VC with the assumption of if they get as excited in the ceiling of this opportunity as I am, then they must be fucking bananas to not invest in me. When what the VC is actually looking for is, are there reasons I should run away from this human? The second thing is that the VC relationship or the institutional relationship is a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not a transaction. And yet entrepreneur after entrepreneur approaches it like I would approach someone at a fucking flea market. Like maybe it's $5, maybe it's $6, maybe it's this thing, and maybe I shine it this way and I put some polish on it and I move it behind the table. Like, no, you're going on a date and then another date, and then you're gonna meet each other's parents. And then maybe there's an engagement. And then there's this wedding contract where we're actually going to sign it together. Except there's no divorce. You're together <laughs> now forever. And entrepreneurs don't get this. They don't get this. So they approach that first meeting as maybe if I, if I say the right thing in the right moment, a check is just going to arrive and then yeah. glory as opposed to, to Vegas this is the, the next first... day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. and midgets right. and fire trucks. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, I miss all those things. I miss them all. <laughs> well, these are a bunch of humans that I definitely do not want to run away from, but we need to end. So <laughs> thank you so much, um, Jonathan and Leslie for joining us in this podcast. And thank you to my darling friend and co-host Rebecca Kroll. You're a really incredible person and the world should know more about you. So it was a pleasure co-hosting. From your side, what would you like listeners to know about Startup Fest and how can people get connected? First of all, it has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you for having me. I love an excuse to hang out with cool folks that I respect and just thoroughly enjoy. So <laughs> yay, thank you very much to Leslie and Jonathan. Um, on the speaking of Leslie and Jonathan, on the Startup Fest front, uh, we uh, everything you need to know about Startup Fest can be found on our website, www.startupfest.com. And uh, something that we are going to be announcing very shortly is that on April, from April 12th to 14th, we're going to be running a virtual edition of Scale Up Fest which is content that's specifically focused on those startups looking to get out of that Series A gap. And Jan Jonathan and Leslie are going to be among our experts on the event, focusing on funding and fundraising. And just to toot their horn for them, one of the fun, many fun facts about Jonathan and Leslie is that um, they and their team at ETW have advised on over 100 raises, which together total capital raised of over $550 million. So they know what they are talking about, and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, they are going to be joined by some other incredible speak up, uh, speakers and tickets are free for startups. So go to startupfest.com for all of the information and the plots and the plans. 
Uh, Bobby, Rebecca, I just want to say like, thank you for including us. This was so fun. And for founders that are out there, if you have a startup where you believe in your future, but you're kind of struggling with the present, like fundraising isn't working, the team isn't gelling, go to market is stalling, by all means, send Leslie and I our email. We're happy to have a chat. It's Jonathan at enjoythework.com or Leslie at enjoythework.com. And if you or know me from Startup to, Fest, you can reach out to me and I'll connect you to Jonathan yeah. and Leslie. I'll introduce you because they're great. And I love connecting them to awesome founders. <laughs> Incredible. Love it. So thank you, um, everyone. And thank you to our loyal listeners. Your time is always appreciated. And don't forget, if you have a technical background and you want to create your own startup, hit me up on LinkedIn and I can tell you more about the incredible opportunities at Tandem Launch. Ciao for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you had fun and gained valuable insights. Why don't you subscribe to the Launch Podcast today? You can share the podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on social media. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tandemlaunch.com and get in touch today.